Hello, everybody. Welcome to the All Around Sports Podcast. Today with me, I have Tommy and Matt. Also, Brian Hulk. How are you doing, Mr. Hulk? How are you? Thank you for having me. Good, good. All right, Matt, you want to start off? Yes. All right, Mr. Hulk, I was wondering, what made you think of starting doing, like, writing for the Yankees and... For the past two decades. Wow. Uh, well, let me go all the way back. Like um, when I was in high school, like I loved baseball, but I was also interested in journalism and writing. Like we would get the newspaper delivered to my house, and I would always tear up sports pages. And um, I was lucky to be coming along right at the time when the internet was starting to get big. And um, you know, we're talking like dial-up internet in the 1990s and stuff, and um, right when the World Wide Web was becoming a thing. And, um, you know, my favorite team at the time was actually the Mets. And, um, and so there's a whole long story with that. But I created a, a website, and it would probably be called a blog today, but um, just writing about baseball and uh, this passion I had. You know, I was 14 years old on a dial-up internet, and um, it, it, there was no, to take you back to that time, there was barely an MLB.com, there was a Yankees.com, there was not a Mets.com, and um, it just kind of filled a void, and especially once there started to be, a, you know, message boards and people could interact kind of in a chat room type area, um, it really gained a, a following, and it kind of encouraged me that to explore that and realize that, this was something that I would like to make a career on. And it led to a bunch of opportunities. I got to do an internship with the Mets in 2000. So I was there for the World Series. And um, just kind of, once I got that foot in the door, I just never wanted to let it close. And um, seven years after that, in 2007, I was uh, covering the Mets during the winter meetings. And um, I heard that Mark Feinsand, who would later go on to write a book with me was leaving the yankees.com job he was going to go right for the new york daily news and i just made sure that anybody who had any say in the decision would know that hey i know you think of me as a Mets guy but i would love to cover the yankees and that would be like a dream and you know i got very lucky i guess right couple days right after christmas they called me and gave me a job offer and um, I, I accepted it without even asking what it what it was going to pay because it didn't matter. I was going to take that job, and uh, it's allowed me to have a front row seat for some of the greatest moments in baseball history. So I'm, I'm very lucky. Every day I get to go to the ballpark, and um, you know I'm definitely living that dream right now. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Thank you. So, what made you start writing all these? books like about the like Yankees and like the baby bombers and I saw as one of your books yeah yeah baby bombers was my first book and uh, mission 27 which I co-wrote with Mark was my second book and 
you know, really, uh, writing a book was always kind of this abstract idea. It was something that I'd like to do someday. Like, I'd like to go skydiving, but I never really had a plan for it. Um, so, but, you know, if you go back to 17, when Aaron Judge is exploding on the scene, he's going to win Rookie of the Year. He's hitting 52 home runs. He's the face of baseball, basically, becoming. He wins the home run derby down in Miami. Um, I was approached to write a book about uh, kind of a biography of Judge, and you know, I, I explored that a little bit and thought about it. But I said there was a, a different story I wanted to tell, and that was uh, a, a broader story, basically taking readers behind the scenes in a uh, in in a GM's office in the clubhouse and explain how the Yankees went from the Derek Jeter era to this new Aaron Judge era, and that's really what that book does. The Baby Bombers is we get from you know Brian Cashman from Joe Girardi at the time uh, who was the manager and really everybody in that clubhouse and uh, you know the Yankees made so many smart moves to kind of rebuild there they realized the World Series in 2016 and they did something that the Yankees really never do and tear it down they they got rid of a lot of their older veteran guys like Alex Rodriguez retired Mark Teixeira finished his career um, they they part they traded away Carlos Beltran uh, they traded a role as Chapman to the Cubs and helped them go win a World Series. But in return, they were able to get guys like Labor Torres and um, bring up guys like Aaron Judge. Gary Sanchez was on the, on the scene already. Luis Severino continued to break out. So really what that did was they, they realized that this was a prime opportunity to go from this older Derek Jeter type team to this young, exciting, fun team of Aaron Judge and this kind of cast of characters. And so that's really what that book did. And um, it was kind of painting the picture of how you get from Jeter to Judge and into this new, exciting era of Yankee baseball. Nice. All right, Tommy, you can take it from there. So just for a minute, not about baseball, but I saw on your Twitter about here, um, a two-time um, New York City Marathon finisher. Yeah, uh, 2010 and 2011. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not running anywhere near now. But, uh, you know, once upon a time, yeah, I, I did it back-to-back years. And I think it was always, like I said, it was always one of those things that you just kind of decide you want to do it. And, um, you know, I remember I always loved New York City and um, living in the city. It was um it was just an awesome way to, to kind of see everything and experience what was going on in Manhattan at that time. And so the training was hard. I'm not going to lie. Like, um, especially I think that the toughest part was a 20 mile training run because there's no metal waiting for you at the end. There's nobody cheering you along on, on the sides. You're just kind of running in a park trying to get those miles in. And, um, so that was kind of torture, but it was worth it in the end because once you're there on that, on that finish line, uh, the starting line on the Verrazano Bridge and then the finish line in Central Park and everywhere between. There's just so much cool energy. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, if anybody is interested in running one, I would recommend it. I know they can't do it this year because of COVID, but um, it, it was such a cool experience. And it's something once you finish, you know that they can never take it away from you. You, you finish the marathon. Absolutely. And now um... – Back on baseball, all these uh, injuries coming up for the Yankees, just like uh, just like last year. How do you think this affects their chances to uh, win the division and possibly make it to the World Series? It has been crazy. It's just I can't believe. Uh, you know, Luke Voigt said this today. He said I can't believe it's happening again. I wonder 
I mean, it's not just the Yankees, though. If you look around the game, pretty much every team has been hit with this injury bug. And I think a lot of it is you usually have a seven-week buildup during spring training. Well, they only got about four of it. Then they sat around for four months, and then they hurried up and tried to, to go through summer camp and had this three-and-a-half-week summer camp to get back to playing games. And I think you're seeing a ripple effect of that right now. And, um, you know, you, you certainly hope that – in the case of a guy like James Paxton, anytime you hear forearm or elbow with a with a pitcher, uh, especially a guy who doesn't have a clean injury history the way that Paxton does, um, you're you're concerned about that. So he's going to get an MRI on that. Um, you know, I think that Glaber should be okay. They say it's just a little tightness on his hamstring, but you know, Giancarlo Stanton had this, a similar injury and he's going to be out for three to four weeks so who knows but it's been crazy to watch them go down one by one this week uh zach britton just went on today and then um on the il and then you've got labor and paxton after that and you're still waiting on aaron judge who should be back saturday i would expect but um you add all these injuries and to the risk of covid um, what we're seeing with the Mets right now, the Yankees aren't going to play a game tomorrow because a couple of the people on the Mets uh, side got this thing. It's just, I mean, 2020 has just been the craziest year start to finish, I would have to say. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, and the Yankees' recent losses to Tampa Bay, I think they've won one out of, one out of uh, six, if I'm, if I'm correct. Correct, yep. And how, how concerning do you think that is for them, for their chances to win the division? Well, I mean, <laughs> Tampa Bay is good. I, I don't think this should surprise anybody. I think that, you know, we all kind of forecast that the Yankees would win the division, but I always thought that the Rays were going to be a really tough challenger. And, um, you know, in a short season, anything can happen. And I think what you've seen so far in a small sample size is – Look, this Rays team, they're tough. They pitch. They, they get timely hitting. They may not slug the ball out of the ballpark the way the Yankees do. They may not score as many runs, but they're just a really fun baseball team. I think Kevin Cash does a really good job down there uh, getting these guys to buy in to the, the, the idea of what they're doing there. And, you know, they are in a lot of ways the little engine that could down there. And they, and they are an annoying thorn in the Yankees' side. And so – um, you know, I think what, what you need to do is look at the numbers that the Yankees do against the rest of the league and look what they do against Tampa Bay, and they're, they're drastically different. So I think the Yankees can continue to beat up on the rest of the league. I, I'm not too worried about that. I think that they're going to win plenty of games. I just think, um, you know, they don't see the Rays very much. I, I think they've only got three more games head-to-head with them. So they're almost done with them, but uh, if I were – the Yankees and I'm winding up in a playoff situation against them, that is concerning. So you just hope from the Yankee perspective that they'll be back uh, when they do have to play Tampa Bay again, because look, they're, they're missing a lot of their key guys right now. When you take judge and Stanton out of that lineup, it looks a whole lot different. And, and so I think that uh, if the Yankees are closer to full health, when they actually do have to play Tampa Bay, especially if the games mean something, they'll be in a much better position. Yeah. And I, and I just have another question for you. So with all these uh, injuries, actually, with the pitchers and, you know, our pitchers, str- and, uh, pitchers struggling, uh, when do you see the, uh, like, top prospects like Clark Schmidt and uh, Davey uh, Garcia getting called up? I cannot wait to see Clark Schmidt. I mean, you know, it could happen as soon as this weekend, I think, uh, considering the fact that 
Paxton is hurt now, and anytime you hear elbow or forearm, as I said, yeah, that's a very concerning thing. So I can't imagine that Paxton will make his next start. I mean, I guess there's a possibility, but I would bet against it right now. Uh, I think the way that Jay Happ has struggled, I know that Boone said he's going to start Happ on Saturday against the Mets, but um, look, if you've got a guy like Clark Schmidt knocking on the door, you know, there's a few roster moves they'll have to make, but so what? I, I think that especially if with Paxton going down body, Garrett Cole's been great. Um, he's been as advertised, but um, I, I think that if Schmidt can come up and help the Yankees out, especially get into that bullpen where they're they're lacking Britain now, so you want a guy who can get in there and throw five, six innings. I, I think Clark Schmidt's that guy. Everything I've seen from him, uh, very exciting. He was great in spring training. He's a really smart dude. That's what I – took away from talking to him in spring training before everything shut down i mean he just got a great head on his shoulders i think he's he's built for stardom in new york and um i think he's going to be a solid contributor for the yankees for years to come so he's built up a little more than davy garcia garcia would probably be behind him uh, but i think you're going to see clark schmidt sooner rather than later especially now that, that paxton appears to be down for a little while yeah i mean i watched these those uh those matchups obviously before the season started he looked he, he looked really solid yeah, I, I'm just so impressed by him. And there's a reason that uh, the Yankees drafted him. He, he had Tommy John surgery, so he fell to the Yankees in that draft. But without that, he probably would have been a top 10 pick. And so the Yankees gambled on him. They realized that, look, he's going to get the surgery. He'll come back strong. And that's exactly what happened. And now they've got a guy who, if he was healthy coming out of college, he probably would have gone in the top 10 picks. But instead, he fell to the Yankees and – uh, looks like the timing just worked out perfectly for for the Yanks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hope hopefully he gets he gets called up soon. I really want to see him pitch. Yeah, like I said, I think you'll see it very soon. Yep. And besides Tampa Bay, who do you see as who do you see like as potentially the Yankees like, getting in the Yankees' way of of, of making it to the World Series and in the division? Obviously, maybe not in the division. But like a team, like any team that stands out to you that might cause the Yankees some trouble. Yeah, I think Oakland, Oakland has really impressed me. I, I think that their problem, Houston, is actually not the problem in the West for a change. Uh, they've been hit so hard that I think that um, it's going to be really interesting to see what's going to happen when. Uh, baseball advances to the postseason because we don't even know what this is going to look like yet. You're going to have extra teams out there. They're talking about putting these teams out in a bubble and we don't know where that would be or or how that would exactly work. I assume it's going to be some kind of round-robin tournament where they're all um, occupying the same hotels. But there's so many strange things this year that we just haven't seen before that it's really difficult to to kind of forecast and know what is going on. I, I mean, it would be normal – even under normal circumstances, if you take out the travel and all that, just having a 60-game season, there's so many wild, unpredictable things happening that, um, I mean, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. And I just hope that teams are able to stay on the field and they, they stay healthy because I, I actually have enjoyed watching the games. I, I got to tell you, I miss the fans so much being in the building. I miss the energy of that. But once the game, kind of lose yourself in it a little bit. And I, I think it's been a good thing to just have that kind of sense of normalcy because for four months there, we had nothing. And 
Um, yeah, it's not perfect at all, and it's not, you know, and there are, thing, there are a lot of problems with baseball, but I think that, uh, you know, look, if I have to choose between having this kind of weird 60-game season with a lot of different things or having no baseball, I'll take this every day. Oh, I, I totally agree, and like what you said about the 60-game season, Baltimore, Miami, and Detroit contending, it's a very weird, it's a very weird sight. And of course, obviously, like you said about Oakland exactly. getting in, getting in the way of New York, I, I agree with that because they've if they have, if they have to go obviously if they have to go to Oakland, they struggle there. They they struggle yeah, there. Yeah, they always them. have. They always have, and that's a long flight to travel and stuff too. So, I mean, maybe it'll turn out where they're just kind of all in one location, and then they're not actually flying like that. I think that that is a real possibility. I know it's something that's right. being talked about. So. We will see what happens, but yeah, it basically, if you think about it this way, you wake up on July 23rd and every team is tied for first place. That's what we're going through right now. So it is a strange sprint to the finish, and um, it's it's a season seen before, but it's it's been fun to watch, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said before, the fans, honestly, I, I, I miss them. You know, it makes the games way, way more elect- like electrifying, more exciting. With that, absolutely. With in the yeah, and, and I and I tell you what, the the solution is not what Fox is doing to have these weird like digital right, fans right, right. in the stands because that does not work. It's just it's so strange. Every time you know a guy hits a home run and all these right, fans right, just, just stare at each other, right, right, right. they don't even react. Exactly. It's it's uh, yeah, it's kind of creepy. I don't like that. So I'd be empty seats. Like it is what it is. We know what it is. Uh, like we understand. You don't have to hide it from us. Right. So there's anyone else? Yeah, I have a question. Questions? It's about uh, writing. Would you write another book, and what would the book be about? Oh man, you know I, I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, I, I gotta say, um, yeah, to write another book. So I don't, I don't have anything locked in yet or lined up. But I mean, it, it would certainly be a Yankee book. Um, you know, hey. If they had won the World Series last year, Mark and I were, were thinking about coming back and doing Mission 28. So it would have been 10 years after the first World Series and do another one. And we would have called that one Next Man Up, but it didn't work out. Houston got in the way again. So, um, you know, you never know. I, I, th- I guess stay tuned. But I'm, uh, I'm definitely interested in it if the right project comes along. You know, I, I do love writing about baseball. I get to do it every day, and um, it's a lot different than writing for MLB.com. It's a lot, you know, when you're writing for the internet, you're trying to get it out as fast as possible and get it up because it's breaking news, and um, people aren't going back, you know, a day or a week later to read it. Um, I think that uh, writing a book is pretty cool. You have to, to put that on a shelf and know that even now I'll get DMs or tweets or whatnot, and people are like, hey, it's been out for two, three years. And I'm like, that's cool. That's cool that somebody is just finding it now and reading it. Like, So it, it continues to live on. So I like that part of it. Yeah, that's cool. I have another question. Do you think that MLB can last from where it is while COVID is still going on? I hope so. I mean, there's no guarantees. Um, I'm encouraged that it's gone this far. But every time you, you start out of the woods and this thing pops back up, and like you're seeing right now with the Mets and the Marlins down there in Miami and the Mets couldn't play, and now the Yankees aren't going to get to play. So 
I, I they really it plays havoc with the schedule when you have teams that have to sit out through no fault of their own. The Yankees are in that position right now. The Phillies had to sit for a long time. Um, the, the Cardinals did too. So obviously we know what the Marlins had to go through. So this thing, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I am hopeful. I, I'm optimistic. I think that the protocols are working, but um, you know, if you start having breakouts on teams, the way if you, if you had four or five Miami's, what we just went through, then I think you'd have to shut it down. But right now it seems to be controlled enough that we can keep going, but um, it's very fragile. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, you know, this virus doesn't care that these guys play ball or anything. I, it's it's not selective. Anybody can get this thing at any time, so that makes it all the more important to that everybody needs to do what they have to do, wear the mask, wash their hands. I mean, those are the only weapons we have against this thing other than just locking yourself in the house. So, um, look, if we're going to keep going, then guys got to play by the rules. They got to follow the protocols and hopefully we can get through to November. Yeah. And I actually have a question going back on your books. Uh, what advice, like, sure. like advice from uh, writing with Mark Feinstein, like Feinstein, uh, Feinstein, and like, what what advice from you, did you take from your first book going into your second book? That's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that one before. Um, I, I I think that you just get a better idea of how to organize because going in. Uh, to the first book, I was lucky I had a good editor who kind of helped me um, structure the story a little bit because I'm so used to writing news articles that which are, you know, 800 to 1,000 words, but you click send and that's it. That's your story. And to kind of weave the story and t- change through times and stuff because in a book, you can kind of flash back to different periods. You can create uh, narratives where people are stuff. Like, you want to really set the scene, whereas... When I'm writing for Yankees.com, I, I'm trying to tell you what happened as quickly as possible. And so to be able to do a deep dive and kind of go back with all those people and say, wait a second, what was really happening when you did this or when you guys were talking to Mark Teixeira as a free agent or how did you guys actually sign CC Sabathia and like what was going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about during that season? That was the coolest part, I thought, was getting to – reunite with the 2009 Yankees and you know we knew all these guys because we were there but um and to to come back 10 years later when they were out of the game and be like all right now tell us the real story what was really happening that was so cool because it was it was like going back to your high school reunion 10 years later uh, just hanging out with old buddies and you pick up where you left off and the stories start flowing. And, um, you know, so many times guys were like, Hey, did you guys know about this? And it was like, no, we didn't. And so that stuff uh, wound up in the book and it was really a lot of fun to, to get the real behind the scenes story, even though it took 10 years to get there. Well, yeah, that seems like, like, you know, learning stuff that you never knew, like behind the scenes, that seems like really, int- that's really interesting. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, sure. In the beginning, you were talking about how you were a Mets fan, and that was a story. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah. Well, when I was uh, – my first favorite team was actually the Yankees. Like, I loved Don Mattingly. He was my guy. And then um, 
I don't know if you know it, but in 1994, I would have been 12 years old when baseball went on strike. And that just broke my heart. Like, I stopped watching baseball for a couple of years. I wanted nothing to do with it. I was watching uh, hockey. The, the Rangers won the Stanley Cup that year. The Knicks were pretty good, although they kept losing to the Bulls. And um, I just kind of lost interest in baseball because the players walked out and uh, they, they went on strike. And so the spring of 96, my dad was a Mets fan. My grandfather was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan who became a Mets fan. And so they were trying to pull me back to their side and say, hey, watch the Mets. Like, come watch a Mets game with us. And so I went and, you know, they were started, they were saying, oh, you got to watch all these young pitchers, the Jason Isringhausen, Bill Pulsifer, Paul Wilson. They had this Generation K coming up. And so they, they hooked me on the Mets. But it turned out that was the worst time to become a Mets fan because the Yankees are about to win the World Series in 96, 98, 99, 2000. High school, all those years, hearing it from my friends who um, they knew I was a Mets fan. And, uh, yeah, they rubbed it in my face every chance I got. But I guess I get the last laugh now because I get to go to Yankee State him every day and they don't so um i guess i guess it all worked out in the end and uh, i'm supposed to be where I, I wound up where i'm supposed to be i yeah. believe that yeah. and um what what advice could you give like anybody else just becoming into journalism like seeing maybe trying to write a book like what advice could you give people just trying to start out yeah I, I think that, yeah, whether you're in high school, college, whatever it is, I mean, there's so many opportunities to to write and you can talk to your teachers and stuff about that. And um, I mean, there's always extracurriculars. There's a school newspaper. Um, when you get a little older, you can go and freelance for newspapers. A lot of a lot of places are willing to give young writers experience. And even if it's not in print, even if it's online, it, it, there's plenty of websites that will give you an audience and an opportunity to write and prove that you know what you're talking about and that you can do the job. And some will pay you, some will not. And it doesn't really matter. You can't be about the money. Um, I think that, um, you know, it's like anything else, like the ball players, what are they, how do they get better? They practice. So I would say write as much as you can, read as much as you can. I think that's hugely important, whether it's a newspaper, magazine, uh, a book, uh, I mean, the back of a shampoo bottle, it doesn't matter. Like, I think that um, it's all good content because it'll tell you what you like. It'll give you kind of a model of what the way you want to write. But I think almost as importantly, it tells you what you think is bad. And, like, you'll be able to see bad writing and be like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to copy that. Let me write more like this guy. And um, I think that, you know, if you pick a few writers who you – respect and admire their work and like for me that was tom verducci at sports illustrated like i i that guy writes like poetry and so i've read his books and i read his he writes for you know breaking news and stuff and he's just a fantastic writer and so i you know i I definitely try to to look read between the lines as they say and all right how did he do this how did he do that who do you who do you think he talked to for this story and so I think that you can, if you focus on what you're reading a lot, um, definitely read, 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 and also write. And I mean, I don't think that's rocket science. That's how we get better at anything. But I think it, the people who put in the time and the effort are the ones who are going to get better at it and improve and advance to get where they want to be. All righty. I want to thank you for uh, coming on today. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun talking to you guys. Yeah, we really, yeah, we yeah, really appreciate you coming on. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Yankee fan. I appreciate all the email telling us all, all your stories and really. Yeah, I'm a big Yankee fan. Yeah, you got it. It's funny. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm happy to be on with you guys. So thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to talk about playoffs, predictions, doubts, and injuries. Who wants to go first? Uh, Well, actually, um, do you you mind if I talk about that? Yes, isn't the draft lottery today? 30 minutes. Yep, today, 8.30. So I'm I'm a Warriors fan, and I believe if we get the first pick, we should be taking – Obviously, in the draft, I believe it's in October. We should be taking either James Wiseman or Anthony Edwards. You're a Golden State, right? Because James yeah. Yes. And if we take James, James Wiseman, he fills that our center position that we've been very weak at for I don't know, the past five years, five, ten years. And if we get – if we take – if they take Anthony Edwards, I believe they're going to make trades and clear cap space, and they might try and go after uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in two thousand. That would be crazy. The Warriors have Antetokounmpo, James Wiseman, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson. That would be just a crazy team. Or if they, if they want to keep, obviously keep them, keep Edwards. Actually, if they get the first pick, they could trade, make a trade pack. They probably include him, Wiggins, uh, maybe Draymond Green. Uh, to the Bucks for for Giannis and maybe take on one of their players who has a lot of cap, uh, who's uh, clogging up a, a lot of yeah. cap space. All right, do you want to get to? I'm gonna get to the playoff predictions right now. Yep. All right, my playoff predictions is Bucks going into the seventh game. I got Bucks on. going into six. I I don't think that they will be able to go into the seventh game. I think it's just gonna go into six, and then it's gonna be over. I got Pete. Yeah, I got, oh, I got go Pete ahead, winning it all at yep. win, like, going undefeated in the first round. I got Rockets I going 4 0 in the first round. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, got, I agree I with the Rockets going 4 0 in the first round. Yeah, exactly. Right. If they can blow out, if they can beat the Thunder twice in a row without Westbrook, when, when Westbrook gets back, that's going to be very bad for the Thunder. Yeah, but the Thunder. Chris Paul doesn't really have any help. You can't blame it all on Chris Paul and the Thunder. The Thunder really don't have any help. No, I wasn't blaming. I'm just saying they they when's what if they can't beat them, obviously you have Chris Paul, Shea uh, Gilgis Alexander, uh, Danilo Gallinari, Stephen Adams. If you can't beat the Rockets when they don't have one of their two best players, I think that's very concerning. Yeah, for them. and it's concerning. I mean, Chris Paul is only averaging 17.7 points a game. Pretty much nine assists and five rebounds a game. That's not prime Chris Paul either. He's one of those people. He's a leader. He makes the team better, yeah, but you can't yeah, make a team better and then lose in the first round. I got Lakers and Trailblazers going into the seventh. Yeah, Lakers and Trailblazers are going into the seventh round. They are playing tonight at nine at the I time actually, we were recording this. I know you guys are both Laker fans, right? But but obviously, yeah, nine o'clock tonight we're recording. You're cutting out, Tommy. Restart. Oh, my, my bad. I said, uh, I said um, tonight, game two, but one more time we're recording this. I have uh, Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers taking game two. No. I got no. Lakers. Because I no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Just listen. I'm gonna listen to you, and then I'm gonna say no. 
<laughs> okay, well, exactly what happened in game one. Damian Lillard is going to go off. He might drive around those 30 to 40 points. CJ Mel around 20 to 30. I think they're just going to be – I think they can't guard Damian Lillard. They're not going to win. I mean, they, they shot horrible last time from three. Mm-hmm. Da- Danny Green, he he getting, what, two years, 30 million just to miss threes? I mean, shoot, if they can't shoot, they're not making their shots. They're not Yeah, but the if you think of it this way, Alex Caruso went a short percentage. But he doesn't do that every game. Each player has a bad game. Every game, it's like off days. Alex Caruso has an off day, but today he might come into this game going eight for 11. That's the same exact thing with Kyle Kuzma. Right. Kyle no, Kuzma is the same exact right. way. And I don't. And that's all I got right. to and say. I don't rule out them. LeBron had an amazing game yesterday. Right. But he just didn't drop as many points that he normally does. And he had an amazing Davis. game. I'd rather LeBron drive in and dunk and lay up and get his points than pass out. He's open for a layup. He passes out always to the three, and we're missing the threes. That's the problem. He can pass out, but we have to make sure we can shoot the shot and make it. All right. I'm going to keep going with the playoff additions right. after and this. I think, uh, not, uh, and I think Anthony Davis, he's a great player, right? Probably, I would say, top. Would you guys agree with me on him being a top? I'd player? agree with him being a top five player in the league. Top five. Okay, top ten, top five. But I, I, he has to step up, too. And like what and like what you guys said earlier, I don't I don't rule out players stepping up if they're having a bad game, because that could definitely happen. But I just see Damian Lillard going off this whole series. He he wanted this eight, he wanted to get in the playoffs. He wanted this eight seed. He, what he, he wants he wants to win this series. He wants to win every series. He wants to win the the finals. See, Damian Lillard can I mean, push I mean, us to team, Game Seven. I mean, this but team, LeBron's track record in the I mean, first round is thirteen and zero. I don't see him losing anytime soon. Right, but I see that. I mean, obviously, this team isn't as good as the Lakers, and they know that. They not everyone's doubting them. I think that just pushes them even more to win the series. And I think I have the I have the Blazers in seven. All right, I got Celtics going four and zero. Yep, Celtics uh, are going four and zero. I got Clippers and Mavericks going game seven. Yeah. I could, I'm gonna take yeah. Clippers and six. Clippers and six. Right, six. Go game seven. I don't know to, about it, that. It could definitely go seven. Though. I don't, don't know about that Nuggets and Jazz game, but the Nuggets beat jazz, the jazz the first round and then the first game, and then the Jazz came back and beat them the second game by a lot. But I think Jazz have it in the bag for five right. for the fifth game. No, I think I'm taking I, Nuggets and with you Nuggets and seven. because the Nuggets are just talking the playoffs. They don't have enough to make it to second round. I think Jazz have it to game five. Yeah. And they're gonna just I'm beat them. Nuggets in seven, six or seven for the Nuggets. I'm taking six or seven. I'm for taking the Raptors to the fifth game. I think Brooklyn's gonna come back and win one I'm game, t- and the Raptors are just gonna close it out. I mean, it's it was it was I'm even it was Raptors surprising that the Raptors even got as far as they did. No one really thought they were gonna make the playoffs, but they did. But I mean, it's good that they even yeah, got to the playoffs. They have a lot of good pieces. Right, they ha- they still have uh, they have Lowry, Van Vliet, Siak- Siakam. They're- those are that's a very good uh, those are very good very good uh, three very yeah. good players. And I'm gonna say they're gonna go for- they're gonna take it in four. Yeah, I think they could go four and zero against the Nets. I'm co- I'm confident in that in that team and that Raptors team yeah. go four and zero. With that, round. what are you guys thinking about that? <laughs> 
What are you guys thinking about that um Bucks <clears throat> series and the uh, um Bucks? What's that? And um I'm taking Bucks in either five or six. Because I know they're winning right now. I think they're like blowing yeah, the magic. They're just gonna tie the game so one and one. Them. Actually, and Giannis isn't a person. I don't think they're gonna get past. And the uh, Mavericks round. versus Clips. I'm taking them. I'm taking them. I'm taking Bucks and five. I'm taking. I'm taking Magic and six. Yep. Yeah. Really. Underdog Magic beating the Bucks. Thinking about the Mavericks and the Clippers. I'm gonna. T- I said Clippers and six, but Luca could Mavericks. obviously he could. Luca's one of those Luka players that can turn up in any moment and change the game. Right, just like Damian Lillard. I, I, I just like. Damian is going. I just hoping. Dude, yeah, helping. they're a very good one-two punch. He's putting up points like he needs punch. to, and he's helping his team. He wants it. He wants. He played for the Knicks, and they didn't right, go really right. far. And now he just wants it. At least a first rounder. He may get, they may get second right. round bounce, but doesn't he just wants to win? He wants right. the game for the game. And I, right, and that and the mat that Mavic shade was a, that worked out very well for Dallas. Uh, they got a really good player who's performing really well in the playoffs, along with Luka Doncic. So I have a question for for you guys. Um, who do you think is the best duo in the playoffs right now, and why? Right now, either one of you can answer. Kawhi right Leonard now. and what? And Paul George. Paul Kawhi George. Leonard and Paul George are the top two in the playoffs right now. And then, like, echoes, so you would say you say they're the best. They duo. are the best duo. I'll tell you the the okay. it goes. I agree with it you. It goes Jason. Kawhi and Paul George, and then it goes Lakers. It goes Anthony Davis and LeBron. See, I don't think those two are the top. I put Dame Dalla. And CJ McCollum in front of the Lakers top two. The way they're playing right now, unless when the Lakers obviously they're gonna get out of the first round. When the Lakers get out of the first round, they're gonna be they're gonna be the top two duo. And then Kyle Kuzma coming in at the third. I right, say the the heat this, in the, like when, Jimmy Jimmy B and Bam. Jimmy Butler Bam and Bam are yeah, they're they're, they're going the phenomenal right now. But Bam Adebayo yeah, is is, is a most improved player next to Brandon Ingram. Bam Adebayo is a, right. is a future star. What about Duncan Robinson? And I have the, yeah, he's he's a good shooter, man. He's he went he's, a, he's a really good then. shooter. He was just going off. Right, he's a good piece for them. Good piece Gordon for them. Dragon. I have the I have the Clippers winning it all this season. And I said it. I said it. Jay's, you guys know I said this at the beginning of the season before it even started. When you add, when you add Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and you have you have a re, a really good bench. Like they have really good depth, and they didn't and they made the playoffs last year too. And you add both of those guys, I mean, I, I, how do you say that they're not contending? I mean, they're I see them winning winning it over the Bucks. I mean, they have a great great depth, great one two, and yeah, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I just don't see they them let, losing. They let that. They let that team, they let the Mavericks bench blow them out. The Mavericks. Yeah, bench. I was very surprised at the Mavericks bench. I did not think okay. they were going to do as good as they did. That happened. That happened because okay, yeah, they're they're going to lose when Paul Paul George went like what four for like seventeen last night with like seventeen points. That's not. A, doesn't perform. 
going to lose. They, they both need to be able to perform in the playoffs, especially Paul George is going to be able to need perform. To, they need to step up. Paul George, I think, is going to put up a career high game in the playoffs. Right, he needs to. Right, he. I hope he has a bounce back game because he he really has to have a bounce back game. They're not right. do well this, 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 yesterday. Top of basketball for now. We're going to go to football. 13 hours ago, Darius Geis has two rape allegations from LSU. I saw that. I saw that. So, and the coaches were not investigating. LSU did not. I think. What does that mean for his career? I don't know. I mean, that, that's already a bad look on when he already got arrested. That's even worse. And I. I yeah, I don't like. Right. And I don't. Battery really and assault. Right, right, and then right. now two rape allegations. Right. And I also gotta like kind of blame LSU on this one too. If you're not gonna investigate, that's a very bad look on on, on your on your uh, school, on your organization, your, your school. That, that's a very bad look, man. Let's look at this. Four hours ago, Notre Dame, five Notre Dame football players test positive for COVID as case numbers rise on campus. There will be no right college there. football this year. There is gonna be no college football, no college basketball, no college baseball. There's gonna be no college sports, and that's gonna make pro sports views obviously go up because not everyone watches pro right. sports and not everyone watches college basketball and football. No, I mean, I could see the, the, the um, sports happening. I just, they got that control that the NBA did. That was, they had like, what, zero cases because they're in the bubble? I mean, obviously, I know they're probably not going to go Yeah, but bubble. they got in the bubble towards the end of the season. You can't put all these kids right. and students in the bubble. Right. No, I'm not, the saying, you know, right. I'm not saying that they should go into a bubble. I'm just saying you got to like, Take you gotta like take an like take action on like how to stop this, how to stop you know not from like meet five. That's a lie. You know how quickly that those those five people can transmit the disease to many other people. There was. I think they're not gonna have college football. They're not gonna have college sports in general because they want to keep the campus safe. There, but these players aren't going by the curriculum and aren't going by because Syracuse just got. Just saw football players at a large student gathering on campus. It was last night. I'm pretty sure. Right and yeah, exactly. They're they're not only risking it for their own school. They're risking it for the football season for other schools who are, who have players doing what they're supposed to do. If they're and not they're just, abide by the rules, schools are risking it for other schools. All. Right, because if you have one school, like say like in baseball, like how uh, Brian was saying about the Marlins, like. That that screwed up like a bunch of games for like other teams. I mean, probably the same thing's gonna happen yeah. with college football. One team starts to outbreak, you're gonna you're gonna get the season canceled. You're gonna you're gonna just ruin it for every other school who's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna end it there, guys. Uh, I want to thank everyone listening to this. I definitely want to thank Miss yeah. Mister Brian Hoke. He's Brian, great yeah, today. Yeah, Make I, sure you follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's just thank you, Brian Hoke. Hoke so yeah. And read his stories too. I mean, he read his read his articles too. 